The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. At first watch cafe eating brunch and we were like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we did a women's conference in Oklahoma City and we brought in some guest speakers and we had really great worship and we just, we just made a way for women to be charged and his presence and, and to be challenged by his word and changed by his call. And now here we all are. <laughs> and uh, I'll have to be honest, I had no idea that it was gonna be this much work. It was way more work than I anticipated. But I can already tell you right now, we're just at the beginning of this thing and it was well worth it. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Like Aubrey said, God is glad that you're here. He's excited to connect with each of you personally. And before we go any further, I just have to take a moment and just recognize my team who has prayed, who has planned, who has brainstormed with us, who was at that uh, breakfast at First Watch and, and since then have been working behind the scenes to make tonight possible. If you're here, I know you're, some of you are probably still out there working behind the scenes, but if you're in here, would you stand up? Coley Hansen, Amanda Johnson, Courtney Haggard, Andrea Tompkins, Aubrey Oaks. Wasn't Aubrey amazing tonight? And Ashley Basapo Moyo. Let's give these ladies a huge hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We couldn't have pulled tonight off without you guys, your hearts, your servant's heart. None of them are staff. Everything they do is volunteer, and I'm just so grateful to do life and ministry with you guys. Um, Now, before we go any further, uh, first I'll introduce myself. I know a lot of you don't know me, but before we do that, before I introduce you to my family, I want to clear up a rumor. There's a lot of people that have asked me if this is me doing this leap, the girl that's in all of her advertisement. They were like, is that you? No, it is not me. And to prove it, I I had my husband capture a picture of me trying to do this. Aren't you glad it's not me? If it was me, a lot of you guys wouldn't have showed up tonight. (laughs) So yeah, that's not me. I am no on-point dancer. I am a mom of three kids. I have uh, three gorgeous kids. Gus is nine, and he is all about football. He wants to be a Dallas Cowboy, as you can see by his little shirt there. And he is 100% convinced that he is going to have a statue at the University of Oklahoma after he wins the Heisman there. Uh, He's also at this really fun age. You can see how cute his little, he's so cute. And he's at this age where Little girls are really starting to notice him in class and at church and things, but he has no idea. We were at a wedding the other night where he was the ring bearer, and he had on a little bow tie and suspenders, and he looked all spiffy. And after the wedding was over, we were in the reception area, and there was a football game on, and he's sitting there eating his popcorn, and there's a little table of girls just kind of like giggling, and he he has no idea. He's just locked in on the football game. So uh, I'm okay if that continues for a little while longer. And then we've got Bo. Bo is six years old. She's in first grade. And uh, I could tell you a lot of things about Bo, but this is one of my favorite stories about her. So this year, um, we're at back to school, meet the teacher. 
And I'm filling out one of those pages that always takes me forever to fill out. Tell me about your child. What are their strengths? What should I know about them? What are your goals for her this school year? So I fill in the strengths. You know, she's compassionate. She, uh, she's very genuine. She's loyal. She's competitive. And then it gets to the weaknesses. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when it gets to the weaknesses, I... I'm a mom, like it's hard for me. My kids are perfect, right? They have no weaknesses. So I'm sitting there thinking, and she leans over my shoulder and she can read. And she says, Mom, does that say weaknesses? I was like, yeah. She was like, hmm, put peppermint. I was like, okay. So I put peppermint because she wanted her teacher to know that she absolutely hates peppermint. Peppermint toothpaste, whatever, it's a weakness of hers. Uh, And then I've got Sunny. Sunny is my third Sunny is my last. Sunny is my baby. Uh, She's about to turn four next month. Uh, But she was born on like the iciest day Dallas has seen in a long time, um, which they loved that her name was Sunny on this icy, crazy day. And she literally has been lighting up our lives ever since. And her name fits her perfectly with her blonde hair and her big blue eyes. And she's always happy. If you ever get to meet Sunny, you will fall instantly in love with her. She's a people person. She has an incredible memory. She knows all the books of the Bible by heart and in order at four years old. And she also knows every single word to uh, Imagine Dragons' new song, Thunder. So she is, she's a lot of fun. And then this is my amazing husband, Josh. And it gets me all teary-eyed because <laughs> I love him so much. He truly is my very, very best friend. We've been married for almost 15 years. It'll be 15 years in June. And... Um, I actually dreamed that I would marry him when I was in eighth grade, and this is before he even knew that I existed. So often he likes to joke that I'm the man of his, or that he's the man of my dreams, uh, and he totally is. And we planted New Song Church here in Oklahoma City uh, two years ago, two years ago in September, and there's nothing I would rather do than to raise a family and to build the kingdom of God in this city with him by my side. Uh, tomorrow's his birthday. He was kind enough to share this his conference weekend with his birthday weekend. He's not here tonight, but if you see him tomorrow, make sure you tell him happy birthday and also make sure you tell him he's the best designer ever because every piece that you see from our t-shirts, our websites, our conference guides, the banners, your lanyards, everything that has to do with this conference, he designed it Oh, he's amazing. So make sure you tell him how much you appreciate him tomorrow. And I also have to just give a huge shout out to our sponsors. Um, Innovation Systems donated all of our letters and our banners for the conference tonight. And then New Song Church. Uh, We couldn't have done this conference without New Song and the support. They donated 50 tickets to single mothers. And uh, they paid for, yeah. And they paid for everything that was above and beyond what we got in in registrations, which was a lot. So thank you, New Song Church. Uh, I, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of a church that loves people and that values women and that want to see women refreshed and recharged and doing their part in building the kingdom in our community. So thank you, New Song. If you're here, yeah. If, you're, if you live locally and you don't have a home church, I want to invite you on Sunday. Come check it out. We have two services, 9.30 and 11.15. We meet at Noah's event venue on Quell Springs Parkway, and I promise you will love it. You will love our people. You got to experience our worship band tonight. That was our new song, Worship Leaders and Worship Team. And we have great kids ministry available at every service. So come check it out on Sunday if you don't already have a church home. All right. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 11. Verse one, and I wanna share with you tonight 
the scripture that our on point theme came from. Now I have to warn you, this is not a pretty scripture. It's not one that you have hanging in your home. It's not one that you've spent hours uh, coloring in the margin of your creative journal Bible. It's not one that you get printed on a t-shirt, but it's a life verse for me. If you don't have your Bible, you can read it with me on the screens. It says, the Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights accurate weights. Now, like I said, this doesn't really scream life verse, right? But let me share with you why it became a life verse for me. About a year ago, maybe a little bit earlier in the year, I woke up and I had the word balance on my heart. I kept seeing it. I kept hearing it. I kept thinking about it. And I knew that the Holy Spirit was the one that placed it on my heart. And he placed it there because he knew that my soul was craving balance. Things at this time felt really chaotic and out of control. And like my world was spinning and I couldn't get a handle on anything. And when I went to kind of measure my life, I just felt like the scales were really out of whack. And so I said, okay, Lord, let's talk about balance. This is what you want to talk about. Let's talk. And he showed me that this is a word that gets a bad rap. It's a word that people frown upon, even people in the Christian world, because they think that balance is not possible. But my Bible says that all things are possible with God. And that includes a balanced life. Maybe not the way that we imagine it in our heads, but God has this plan for us to have each area of our life, all the key areas that are important to us, that they stay steady, that they stay stable, that they stay balanced, and that they stay healthy. So I said, okay, Lord, how is this possible? If all things are possible and you're telling me that a balanced life is possible, show me how I get it. So I, uh, he, he just said, just get in my word. Just start to dig in the word of God. So I went to my concordance and I looked up the word balance and just started looking for scriptures that, that were listed under the word balance. And that's when I found Proverbs 11.1. 1. The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. I was tempted to just keep reading because I had no idea what that meant. But when I saw it, I knew it was for me. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, that's it. Grab onto this and dig. I wanted to know why these 14 words were important enough to make it into the most important book of all time. Why King Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, decided to put these words in the Bible. Why was the verbiage so strong? He detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. So I did that. I dug. I'm just curious, Lord, what does this mean? Show me. And as I studied, I found out that when this verse was written, scales like this one, this really accurate biblical times model that I found, uh, original to the biblical times. No, it's just a Montessori uh, toy that I found on Amazon. But they use scales like this in the marketplace to buy and sell with. And how it would work is each, uh, each customer and each store owner they had their own scales and they had their own measuring stones. And this is how they would buy and trade things with. So let's say, for instance, we're in those times and you want to buy some grain from me. And I say, okay, how much grain do you want? You say, I'll take two pounds of grain. I say, okay, so you set your little two pound weight up on this side. And then I take my grain and I put it on this side until the scales balance out. And then I know you've got your two pounds of grain. That's great. Now it's time for you to pay me. Now it's, now it's time for the fun part. And so I say, okay, that's going to be three ounces of silver. And you say, okay, you put your little three ounce measuring stone up here. And then you begin to put silver on this side until the scale balances out. I've got my three ounces of silver. I'm paid. But what I don't know is that your three ounce measuring stone is not 
accurate. It's actually only about two and a half ounces. I can't tell just by looking, but you've chiseled a little bit out of it to skew the scales slightly in your favor. And now you've robbed me out of a half, a half ounce of silver. You've cheated me. Now, I can't think of a lot of places that we use scales anymore. Like we don't use this in our day-to-day lives. The only place I could think of was frozen yogurt places. I don't, I don't know how much frozen yogurt is where you live, but it's 49 cents an ounce where we go. And you saw my three kids. You saw my husband. He does not know what full feels like. So it's important to me that when we go to the yogurt store and he sets his cup on the yogurt scale, if it is six ounces, I want it to weigh six ounces. I need that scale to be accurate or we'll be broke because of the expensive yogurt they would be robbing from our family, stealing from our family. And this is why the Lord hates the use of dishonest scales and dishonest measuring stone because it is stealing. Look at this with me in John 10.10. It says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Archaeologists have actually found measuring stones that people have chiseled away the bottom at, slightly chiseling things away to skip or to tip the scales in their favor. But in the process of doing so, they're taking the favor of God off of their life. He doesn't want you to be robbed. He wants, if anything, he wants the scales tipped in your favor. He wants you living a life that's overflowing, that's abundant. And so often what we do is we have our own measuring stone. Last year when I was feeling so out of balance, the Lord showed me, you've got the wrong measuring stone. You've got this stone that you're using to measure your life again against. And it's a stone that you've allowed circumstances and works and comparison and just life in general to chip away at. And when you put it up on the stone, you're being shortchanged. You're being robbed from. And I hate that. I don't want to see your joy robbed. I don't want to see your peace robbed. I don't want to see these moments, these ministry moments that I have for you with your family. I don't want to see you robbed. I hate the use of dishonest scales and dishonest and accurate measuring stones. I want you to have a balanced life. So let me show you how to get that stone. I asked my my friends this question this week. I said, do any of you ever feel shortchanged? Do any of you ever feel imbalanced? What areas of your life do you feel like are just out of balance? And here's some of their answers. I thought I would share, share some of them so that maybe you could relate. Time. I spend too much time on things that don't matter or at least things that don't matter as much as things like sleep, quiet time with the Lord, exercise, and my marriage. Emotions. I find myself broken over things that don't warrant the extensive amount of analyzing heartache and brain power that I give to them. Self-care. I'm so busy caring for others, I don't spend time caring for myself. In the process of taking care of everyone else, I feel like I've lost sight of my own dreams and desires. Worth. I give an unbalanced level of attention to negative things about myself and avoid focusing on the good things about myself. I think more about how I'm not good enough, worthy enough, funny enough, talented enough than about what God says about me. Responsibilities. I get unbalanced in my tasks. I wear four hats, but I don't wear them well all at the same time. If I take off my mom hat, then things at home get unbalanced. If I take off my business owner hat, then my business suffers. I want to get to the place where I can wear all the hats and see God's favor in hand on every area of my life. Career. 
I love my job, but I don't feel like I, but I feel like I place work before everything. I have a hard time resting and I don't know what to do with a day off or downtime. I worry I'll burn out if I don't get a handle on this. And grace. I struggle to know when to give myself and others grace and other times I struggle to recognize when God's calling me to go deeper. Basically, I feel lukewarm, not on fire, not cold, just gross lukewarm. I know I can relate to many of those, these areas where we feel out of balance. And in, in, in the effect of that is then we feel like we're being robbed from, we're being shortchanged. And I got to tell you guys tonight that God is not the God of shortchange, that he's a God of abundance, that he wants to bless you with that overflowing life. Now, usually I would save this moment for the end of the message, but I felt like God said, no, put it right here. And what we're going to do is we're going to just get real quiet and still for just 30 seconds. And we're going to ask God to speak to us. His word says that we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. And so we can hear his voice. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we hear a message like this and we start to think about how the girl sitting next to us, these are the areas that she's unbalanced. And we start thinking about her or we start thinking about our sister-in-law or we start thinking about our mom or even our spouse. But God told me that he wants you to filter this message through your own life. He wants this to be deeply personal for you tonight. So right where you're at, just bow your heads with me, close your eyes. And God's going to speak to you right in your thoughts. That's where he speaks. So we're just going to get real still. Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. We are listening. Show us the specific places in our lives that are out of balance. Show us the areas that we're being shortchanged in. Show us what the enemy is stealing away from us because the scales of our life are imbalanced. God, we thank you for speaking to us. We ask you to just continue to reveal truth as we open our hearts, Lord. That as this message hits ears, Holy Spirit, you will help it to hit hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I showed you a really uncommon, unfamiliar scripture that you don't have in your creative journal Bible. But now I want to show you the key, the the verse that as I begin to walk this process out with the Lord and said, okay, Lord, it's possible. I get it. You don't, you don't like the unbalanced scales. How do I get balanced scales? You showed me that my stone is inaccurate. How do I get an accurate stone? And he led me here. Second Timothy one, seven for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound Mind. This is a staple verse. If you've been in church for any, uh, if you've been in church for a couple of months, you've probably heard this verse. All three of my kids know it by heart. It's the verse that when they come in our room and they're scared about a thunderstorm or they've had a bad dream, we walk them back to their beds and we whisper this verse in their ear as we tuck them in. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. My husband was telling me the other day that when he was little and he would get scared, he would walk down the hall to his parents' bedroom and their bedroom would be completely dark and have like tons of fans blowing. So it's kind of like, where am I? And he would forget which side of the bed which parent slept on. And fingers crossed, he'd go over and hope that he would going to get his mom's side of the bed. Because if he got his mom's side of the bed, she would let him get in bed or she'd go and sleep with him. He'd get exactly what he was looking for in that moment. But if he got his dad's side of the bed, he tapped him and it was his dad. He'd be like, dang it, because he knew his daughter was going to wake up and say, Josh, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Go get back in bed. (laughs) 
So it's a staple. It's a staple in the Christian household. And it's a great verse about what he hasn't given us. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And if we're not careful, I think sometimes we get so focused and so fixed on what he hasn't given us that we forget to acknowledge what he has given us. Imagine with me tomorrow that on Josh's birthday, I wake him up bright and early and I say, Hey, babe, happy birthday. I love you so much. Listen, I didn't get you a rattlesnake, but I did get you an iPhone 8 Plus and season tickets to the Thunder and a 2017 Porsche Cayenne. It would be insane if instead of opening the gifts that I did not give him and acknowledging those gifts, getting out his new phone, setting it all up, getting out his calendar and writing in all the the Thunder games in in it, uh, getting the keys to the car and taking it for a spin around the block. And if, if instead of him doing that, if all he did all day was say, babe, thank you for not getting me a rattlesnake. I really appreciate it, babe. I'm so glad you didn't get me a rattlesnake. That would be insane, right? And it would totally hurt my heart. And I think some Sometimes that's what we do with this verse. We say, thank you, God, for not giving me a spirit of fear, which is great. We're glad that he didn't give us a spirit of fear. But then we put a period there. But that's not where the verse ends. There is no period. There's a but. And it's a big but. And I don't know about you, but I like big buts. And I cannot lie. He has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And we have to open these gifts up. We have to acknowledge them. We can't just end that verse with what he hasn't given us. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And we have to start acknowledging it. Now, something that I like to do when, I, when I'm reading the word, when I get stuck on a word, and this word, sound mind, is what God showed me is the key to this balanced life. I would love to talk about uh, the power and the love part, but tonight we're just gonna focus on a sound mind because I think it's the most misunderstood, misunder, or the most misunder, misunderstood and the most underused of these three things, power, love, and a sound mind. It just kind of is like the leftover gift. But this is what he showed me. This is what you need to have balance in your life. You need to have a sound mind. So I got fixated on this word. And when I get fixated on a word, then I go to BibleGateway.com. And I look this word up in all the different English translations. And I make a big list, okay? So here's what that list came down to. God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control, self-discipline, sound judgment, good judgment, instruction, sobriety or soberness of mind, wise discretion, a sensible mind, a calm and well-balanced mind. To have a balanced life, ladies, we have to have a balanced mind. We have to have a sound mind. But I've got good news for you. Whether you know it or not, whether you feel like it or not, you are in possession of this sound mind. God has already given it to you. Now it's time to start acknowledging it. Now it's time to open this gift up and let it start working in you and through you. We have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge this controlled, this disciplined, this sound, this balance, this sensible mind. Because it will only start to work in our lives when we acknowledge that it has walked in. One of my uh, pet peeves, I don't like to think that I have a lot of pet peeves, but maybe my coworkers and husband would disagree with that. But one of my pet peeves is when I walk into a department store or any store like Pottery Barn or The Gap, something like that. I walk in 
and they don't acknowledge my presence. Now you're probably thinking, gosh, she's so snobby that she just wants them to, that's not it at all. In fact, if they do acknowledge me, I'm usually like, I'm good, don't bother me, I'm just looking. But I want them to acknowledge me. Why? Because I used to work retail. And I know that it's retail 101 that when a customer walks into your store, you acknowledge them. When they walk into your place of business, you want to look up and acknowledge that they're there. You acknowledge their presence. The same thing in the church world. We've planted this church and it's a goal. It's a priority of ours to acknowledge every person that walks in our doors. Acknowledge means to admit to recognize or accept the existence of. You can't acknowledge something that is not there. If I'm not in Pottery Barn, you cannot acknowledge me. We have to acknowledge, we have to admit, recognize, and accept the the existence of this sound mind that God has given to us. It has walked into our place of business. It has walked into our lives, and now we need to acknowledge it. Because when we do, when we start to, to really stir this gift up, even in the storms of life, even when circumstances are crazy, when we have this gift, our scales stay balanced. The devil can't steal a thing from us when we're in possession of the sound mind. In that, that list of all the words that sound mind was translated, one of them was sobriety or soberness of mind. Now, growing up, I used to watch with my sister Becky, who's here, every Sunday night, she watched Cops. You guys know Cops? Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? So that was like her show. She'd watch it on Sunday nights. And then after that, we'd watch America's, Go- uh, America's Most Wanted. And then I'd spend like the next week not sleeping because I was certain that whoever America was most wanting at the time was now lurking in my neighborhood. So we'd watch Cops. We'd watch America's Most Wanted. And I learned about a lot of things watching the show Cops. And one of them was about field sobriety tests. You've probably seen these tests done. Hopefully you've never had to have one administered to you. But it is when you are a, a, a police officer, a highway patrolman, they pull somebody over and they think they might be under the influence. And so they perform three tests. The first is a gaze test where they have to have the suspect uh, follow their finger and watch to see if the eyes can follow the finger. It's the eye track test. The next is the heel to toe test. And the suspect has to take nine heel to toe steps in a straight line, and then they have to turn around, and they have to do nine heel-to-toe steps the other way. I promise I'm not, and I just am having a hard time balancing, but they have to, <laughs> they have to do it this way, and then they have to do it back way, and then, and then the last thing they have to do is the one-leg stand test, which I'm guessing you can figure that out what that is. They have to balance on one foot for 30 seconds, and what the officer is looking for is whether or not the suspect, a suspect can balance. Because alcohol and drugs, it affects the part of our brains that controls our balance. So if they can't balance, there's a good chance that they're intoxicated, right? Write this down. Balance is an indicator of a sober and sound mind. And on the flip side, imbalance is an indicator of an intoxicated mind. If your life if you're feeling like things are out of balance, it's because you are not acknowledging. It's because you're not using this gift of a sober and sound mind that you've been given. And because of that, you're going through life intoxicated. You're mean. You're making bad decisions. You're sloppy. You're reckless, frazzled, unable to walk a straight line, hung over the next morning, and then you start the cycle all over again. God has not called you to that kind of life. This is not the abundant life that Jesus won for you at the cross. So let's talk about some of the things that we as women 
can get under the influence of, some things that cause us to lose our balance. The first one is we get under the influence of distraction. Distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to someone else. A thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to someone else. If they wanted to save some space in the dictionary, they could have just put a smartphone. Distraction is a smartphone. I feel like we live in a day and age where where giving someone your undivided attention, that's long past or it's becoming extinct. We're unable to focus. I read the other day that we now have attention spans shorter than a goldfish. Now, I don't know who, who has figured out how to measure a goldfish's attention span, but I do believe that ours is short. It said that the average attention span is eight seconds. They, they found that out by, if it takes a, a web page longer than eight seconds to load, we'll click off of it. We do not have eight seconds to wait. We're distracted. We watch Netflix, and while we're watching Netflix, we're scrolling through Instagram. We've got push notifications. We've got group me. We've got text threads. We've got uh, things coming in from our children's school all the time. There's no office hours anymore. Your phone, your email, the problems that, that you used to just be able to leave at the office, now they come with you everywhere. Distraction is rampant in our society. We live in a very, very distracted world. Now, I know it's not... Uh, that technology is not the only distraction, but I think right now it's the most prominent one. The chief executive officer of Microsoft was recently quoted saying, the true scarce commodity, in other words, the thing that's going to be the hardest to come by in the near future, will be human attention. Human attention. It shows that Americans log into their phones 80 times a day. We access it on average every 11 minutes and 15 seconds, and then we touch these things. We swipe. We pull, we pinch, we pull uh, 2,617 times a day on average. So some people are way above that and some people are below that. Distraction. We're under the influence of distraction. The other thing that we get under the influence of is under the influence of dilly-dallying. Dilly-dallying means to waste time. I was looking up D words and I was so happy when I found dilly-dallying. It's a double D. Okay, to waste time. I've often uh, thought to myself, I wish I had more hours in my day. If only I had more hours in my day, but that's not the way that God set it up. It's just not how it works. He can't give me more hours in my day, but he can show me how to steward the hours that he's given me well. I think so, so often the stress that we're under, the imbalance that we're feeling, the things that we're being robbed from, it just is because we allow the enemy to take us down rabbit trails all the time instead of focusing on what God wants us to do right here in this moment. We waste our time. Time is a precious, precious gift, and we use it so often in the wrong way. We get under the influence of dilly-dallying. The next is under the influence of lack of discipline. Discipline is to train oneself to do something in a controlled and habitual way. Now, discipline is not a word that people really like to talk about. It's not a really fun, like, yay, let's talk about discipline. Uh, Even in the Bible, Hebrews, it says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. The Bible's really clear. It's painful. But, another big but, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. There's going to be balance. There's going to be a peaceful harvest of right living, of good living, the kind of living where you're not being stolen from if you get discipline in your life. We get under the influence of lack of discipline. Have you ever said those words? I just don't have enough discipline 
to eat right. I just don't have enough discipline to exercise. I don't have enough discipline to say no to every seemingly good opportunity that comes to my doorstep. I don't have enough discipline to get up and spend time to start my day with the Lord. I just don't. I want to spend time with God. I just don't have the discipline to do it. I'm sure that you've said those words before, but that's not what God says. It says that he's given you a sound and a well-disciplined mind. The spirit fights against that mind. Next. We get under the influence of dumb. Dumb. Dumb means lacking intelligence or good judgment. Have you ever just made a dumb decision? Maybe you hired the wrong person and now everything's out of balance. You're you're having to, to fix a bunch of things that they messed up because you made a dumb decision. Or maybe you saw something you really wanted around Christmas time and you thought, well, my tax return is coming and it was this big last year, so I'm guessing it's going to be this big uh, this year. I'll go ahead and put it on the credit card and pay it when my tax return comes in. And then your tax return comes and it's not as big as it was supposed to be. And then you're in debt and you're struggling and your finances are out of balance. And there's all this, these problems and this weight on your shoulders because you made a dumb decision. We get under the influence of dumb decisions. But God says that he gives us wise judgment, good judgment, sound judgment. I realized that my life last year was out of balance because of these things. Distraction, dilly-dallying, lack of discipline, and dumb decisions. For instance, uh, our mornings were turning into like the norm at our house on a school day morning was stressful. It was chaotic. It was a lot of bad attitude and it was all coming from me. And it was because I'd get up, I'd have my quiet time, I'd exercise, and then at 7, when my kids wake up, I know at 7 that I should be going and getting breakfast started for them. I needed to be making breakfast at 7 a.m. And by making breakfast, I mean pouring cocoa puffs into a bowl with some milk. I knew that's what I should be doing, but instead of doing that, I'd hear the little ding in my office. And I'd go over to my office and I'd sit down and I'd see all the emails that came in overnight and I'd start going through those emails. And now I'm about 15 minutes behind and my kids are starting to get grumpy. I go into the kitchen and I'm quickly making breakfast at 7.15 and then I start packing lunches. And instead of just giving the lunches my undivided attention, instead of spending five minutes putting some peanut butter and jelly on bread and putting pretzels in a bag and grapes and a juice box and we're good to go. What should have taken me 10 minutes took me about 25 because I wasn't just packing lunches. I was looking at those push notifications. I was checking Instagram. I was trying to post something on Facebook. I was answering a text message that came in. I was just taking whatever the, whatever the world was throwing at me. I was trying to do it all at the same time. And then my husband walks in. The kitchen is a mess. We're all rushed. We're all all kind of frazzled. It's time to brush the girl's hair, which that is a horrible moment every morning in our household anyway. But now it's even worse because everybody's rushing in a bad mood. There's no time to be gentle. Let's just brush those knots out. And so everybody's cranky. Everybody's grumpy. He walks in. I should be sweet to him, but I'm not. It's just kind of like, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? This has been a crazy morning. And then everybody leaves. And here I am left feeling like a big frazzled jerk. I went through my whole morning under the influence instead of with a sound mind. And because of that, the rest of the day, my joy is stolen. And because my, the joy of the Lord is my strength, my strength is, is stolen away. I start my day off on the wrong foot and I can never catch back up. And so all day, I just feel out of balance. I feel like these moments are being stolen away from me. I'm so glad that I have a husband who said, Sarah... It doesn't have to be this way. 
We don't have to just say, this is just a season of life that we're in, and we're just going to accept it. We've got three little kids. We're planning a church. Life is busy. It's okay. Just give yourself grace. He said, no, God has more for us. God has more for you. And that's when I started this balanced journey. That's when I decided to, to dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, Lord, what do I need to do? How can I keep from missing out on these moments? How can I keep the enemy from stealing away time with my kids that I'll never get back? How can I keep the enemy from stealing away ministry moments where I could speak life into my husband before he leaves on his way to work? How can I get back my joy? How can I get back my peace? How can I take back my days for you? I don't want to miss out what you, on what you have for me. Listen, every woman in this room, God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a path that he's made for you. And on that path, there's ministry moments. There's people that he needs you to minister to. But if you're under the influence and you can't walk that path, you're going to miss those people. This isn't just about you. It's not about you just having the life that God wants you to have. It's about people, other people in your world, getting to experience Jesus like you've gotten to experience Jesus. This is a big deal to have a sound mind. I want you to look with me at the story of Abigail. I don't know if you know Abigail, if you're familiar with her story, but I want to introduce you to her tonight or remind you of her story if you've heard it. And I pray that as you read this with me tonight, that you won't see Abigail as just like a fictional character that you have nothing in common with. I want you to see you in her. Because the thing about Abigail is she possessed the very thing that you possessed. Let's read together in 1 Samuel 25. Two through three. It says, There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goat, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife, Abigail, look at this, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. Now remember, one of those ways, or one of the words, uh, that sound mind was translated as was sensible. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sensible mind. Abigail says here that she has a sensible mind. I love that they didn't lead with the beautiful, but they led, the Holy Spirit led with the sensible. She had a sensible mind. She could make sound judgment calls. She was filled with discretion and her life was well balanced. She was a sensible and beautiful woman. Now, 1 Samuel 25, 4 through 9, it goes on to say, when David, this is David who fought Goliath. This is David. He's not king yet, but he's on the way to being king. When David heard that Nabal, Abigail's husband, was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. This is a really sweet message. David words it really well. Peace and prosperity to you, your family and everything you own. I'm told that it's sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men. They'll tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. So here's what's happening. David sends his men. They have this note from David. They give it to Nabal. And basically this note says, hey, we got your back. Now it's time for you to have our back. This is customary. Any other person would have said, yeah, sure, here's some wine. Here's some sheep. Here's some grain. Whatever you need. You took care of me. Now I'm going to take care of you. But like the Bible said, uh, this guy was crude. Nabal was crude and mean in all his dealings. So he said no. So David's men go back and they say, boss, sorry, 
No dice. He won't cooperate. He's not going to give us what you're asking for. Now look how David replies. Get your swords. Typical man, right? Get your swords. And David, uh, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. So what's happening here is David is turning into this raging volcano of anger. He is ticked off that Nabal is not cooperating. So he says, get your swords. I got mine. He vows that he is going to kill every person in Nabal's household. And he says, Lord, strike me down if I don't get every one of them. All because this guy won't cooperate with him. He's really uh, kind of exploding in anger in a very unhealthy way. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to The chief executive, no. Went to the next in command, no. Who did he go to? He went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us and we've never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. So this guy's kind of pleading David's case. We should have his back. We should provide these provisions for him. But your crazy husband is not doing it. And here's what he says. You need to know this, Abigail, and figure out what to do. For there's going to be trouble for our master and for his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. So here's what's happening. He's going to Abigail. Why is he going to Abigail with this information? Because he has seen her sensible mind at work before. He has seen her in tough situations know exactly what to do. He's seen her have a cool head. He's seen her have a well-balanced mind. So he says, I'm taking this to Abigail. She'll figure out what to do. He says, you need to figure out what to do. You need to know this and figure out what to do. You will be in Abigail's shoes someday where you need to figure out what to do. You need to figure out what to do when your husband comes to you and he says, hey, babe, I hate to tell you this, but I'm struggling with pornography. You need to know what to do. You need to know how to respond in that situation. As I was praying over this message this week, I felt like there's going to be a mom here in the next couple of years. Your daughter comes to you and she says, mom, I'm pregnant. And you need to know what to do in that situation. You need to know what to do when you get a bad diagnosis from a doctor. You need to know when you get a job offer that's going to uproot your family and move you across the state. You need to know what to do. Just like Abigail. And the good news is you will know what to do because God has given you a sensible mind. Look at how Abigail responds. Abigail wasted no time. I love it. She didn't dilly-dally. She wasn't distracted. She wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. So she heads out to find David. She's going to meet David and his men, these 400 men and David who are coming in anger to kill her and all the people in her household, and she's going out to meet him. And when she sees him, she gets off of her donkey, and she begins to deliver deliver this beautiful, well-balanced speech. It reminds me of the movie Moana. I love the movie Moana. But at the end, she's up against this crazy volcano of anger. And what does she do? She doesn't come at that volcano and say, you're mean, you're ugly, you're wrong, I'm going to defeat you. No, she says, this isn't who you are. 
This is not who you are. She puts the heart of Tefiti in there and it turns back into this beautiful lush mountain. So this is Abigail. She comes to David and she says, she doesn't say, you're wrong. You're in the wrong. You're angry. You're not doing this right. God's going to slay you. That's not what she does. She says, David, this isn't who you are. She points him back to his purpose. She points him back to his destiny and simply asks him, is what you're doing consistent with God's plan for your life? And here's how David responds. I love it. He says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Not for your good looks. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, if you were distracted, if you were dilly-dallying, if you had no discipline, if you were full of dumb decisions, if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow. David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I've heard what you said. We won't kill your husband. Eventually, David ends up marrying Abigail. Now, what I want you to see here is because she wasn't under the influence, she not only saved and preserved her household, but she saved and preserved the plans and purposes that David had in his life, that God had for David's life. Listen to me. This isn't just about you. This well-balanced, this sound mind thing, it's not just about you. If your daughter comes to you and tells you that she's pregnant, If you don't respond in the right way, you can damage that relationship. You can hurt her. You can scar her. You need to know what to do. You need to call out destiny in people. You need to be Moana. You need to say, this is not who you are. Let me put the heart of God in you. This is who you are. We have to have a sound mind. But I love that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. It's a gift. He's given us this gift. Remember, he hasn't given you the spirit of of fear, but he has given you this gift. You already possess it. Now, there is a part that you have to play because we are not robots. And God does not put this gift in you and then just press start and it starts to work in your life. He puts it in you and then there's this element, this, this part where he needs your will and he needs your cooperation and he needs you to desire this gift. And, and when you do that, you stir this gift up and then it begins to work. It's like you have to push the start button. It's there. Everything's programmed inside of you. The sound mind is there, but you just have to push the start button. You have to stir it up and make it work in your life. In 2 Timothy, right before the verse about he's given you, hasn't given you a spirit of fear, it says, you received a gift from God when I placed my hands on you to ordain you. Now we're reminding you to fan that gift into flames. That's where we're at right now. We see that he's given us this gift. We, we have acknowledged that it's walked into our place of business. We see the value of it, that it not only will save us and keep us from being robbed, but it'll save people in our lives from being robbed. And now here comes the fun part. We got to activate it. We got to fan the flame. And here's how we do that. The, the dancers in all of our artwork, to me, they are the perfect picture of what balance looks like. That's why we call this conference on point because these amazing girls they're able to dance they're able to to 
uphold their, every part of their body and balance perfectly on the tips of their toes. They're on point. You probably have heard that phrase before, girl, you look on point, or whatever, your, your, your shoes are on point, your, your hair is on point, whatever. We want to have a life on point. And so these, these, these dancers, the, the way that they move, the way that they, they go through uh, their routines, when we did this photo shoot with them, I was mesmerized. I was just drawn in, couldn't take my eyes off them. The way that they were able to gracefully move with strength, but with balance. And, and as they drew me in, I just thought, man, that's what I want to be. I want my life to draw people in with, with not just beauty, not just works, but with balance. I want them to see this balance and strength as I dance through life. And that's what God, he wants you to draw people in. So we're going to kind of make some parallels here between how these girls stay on point and how we can stay on point. How do we stay balanced? How do we stir up this gift? The first one, and I close with this. I've got five of these. We stir up the gift of a sound mind through consistency. Now, dancing on point is kind of like this big moment in a ballerina's life. When they get to go get fitted for their point shoes, it's a big day. It's a cause for celebration. It didn't happen overnight. These girls have practiced consistently at least three days a week. If you're going to be an on-point dancer, if you're going to graduate to this status, you've had to have been practicing at least three days a week for a while. Now, the girls that danced in our photo shoot, they danced five days a week. That was their day job. They were part of the Oklahoma City Ballet, and they danced five days a week, consistently working to enhance their gift. Now, if I were to give Josh that Porsche tomorrow, which, sorry, babe, it's not a Porsche, um, but if I were to give him that gift tomorrow, he would have to consistently fill it up with gas. He would have to consistently have the oil changed and the tires rotated. He would have to consistently take it through the car wash if he was going to enjoy that gift to the fullest. We have to consistently fill ourselves with the word of God and with the spirit of God. If we want to see this thing stirred up in our lives, we got to fill ourselves with the word. We got to fill, we got to ask Jesus to fill us with his spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine. I love this because we're talking about being under the influence, being intoxicated. Don't be drunk with distraction, with dilly-dallying, with dumb decisions uh, or lack of discipline, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of being under the influence, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love this because it's not be filled once and done, but it's be being filled. It's a continual process. Every day, every day we should wake up and say, Jesus, Fill me with your spirit. We got to consistently be full of his word and consistently be full of a spirit. Secondly, we stir up the gift of a sound mind through proper alignment. Proper body alignment is a primary ballet principle in which all other ballet principles depend upon. The human body is like a set of blocks. And if one block is out of alignment, then everything underneath and everything on top is going to suffer, right? Like the game Jenga. You take a block out and everything on top is going to have to uh, miss or it's going to have to to rebalance. Everything on bottom is going to have to rebalance. And what happens in our bodies, if a dancer like pulls a muscle in her back or something, something's out of a line, she still may be able to hold a pose for a second and everything looks right, but there's some part of her body that's overcompensating. And after enough of that overcompensating, she's going to experience injury. Listen, we get out of balance the quickest when we're out of alignment with God's will. With, with, his, with his will and with his word, because God's will is his word. I think so often we do things without checking to see, God, is this your will for me? 
We just take a job without praying about it. We just date a guy without praying about it. And then we're misaligned. And then everything's having to overcompensate for this misalignment. We're out of God's will. So this part of our life's having to make up for that, overcompensate. And then we get injured. Then we get hurt. Our hearts get broken. And things are out of balance. We have to be in the will of God. I love this, Galatians 5.25. If we're living by the Spirit, so much of this has to do with the Spirit. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. If we're living by the Spirit, let us also be walking in line with the Spirit. Listen, part of your identity as a daughter of Christ is that you are walking in alignment with the Holy Spirit. That you're not doing things your own way, but you're walking that heel-to-toe path, and, you're, and, and that heel-to-toe path is what God's will is for you. You're not out of his timing, because if you're out of his timing, you're out of his will. You're seeking him. You're seeking his word, and you're saying, God, is this what you have for me? I want to be in step with you. When, you. when you purpose to be in step with him, it stirs that gift of a sound mind up. Number three, we stir up the gift of a sound mind through resistance training. Resistance training. To remain balanced and on-point dancer, they have to build a crazy amount of strength in their feet and in their ankles and in their legs. And they do that through resistance training. Have you ever been in a pool and you've tried to run in a pool? It's a lot harder to run in water because when you're running on land, you don't have that resistance. But a lot of people will exercise in a pool because that resistance, it makes your muscles stronger. Listen to this in Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, put on, if the Bible ever says that you have to put something on, realize it's a choice. It's not just on you. you got to make a choice to put it on. Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist. Everybody say resist. Resist. Everybody say resist. resist. Resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. We have to learn to love resistance training. When we feel like laying down, when we feel like giving up, when we feel like just saying, okay, Devil, you win today. We'll try again tomorrow. But instead of saying that, we say, nope, I'm resisting. I'm going to push against. I'm going to push back. I woke up this week on Wednesday, and I felt like a train had just run over me. My head hurt. My back hurt. I was achy. I was congested. And I wanted to just lay in bed and feel sorry for myself. But then I remembered, a balanced life comes from resistance training. So I said, nope. I put on Hillsong's Not Today, and I praised, and I praised, and I praised for about 45 minutes until I felt like a brand new girl. We have to learn to love resistance training. Don't back down when, you, when things get tough. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let him win. Say, not today, not ever again. Resist him. And then when you do, you stand Firm. That sound mind muscle gets stronger. And the next time that he comes against you, it's easier. You're stirring up that gift and you're strengthening that sound mind muscle that God has given you. Number four, we stir up the gift of a sound mind through focus. Aubrey had not heard my message and I love what she shared because it ties into this so well. We stir up the gift of a sound mind through focus. Keep your eyes on the floor and that's where you will end up. This is a common phrase in dance studios because instructors are trying to teach their dancers the importance of their eyes and balance. Where your eyes go, you go. If you're looking down at the floor, you're going to fall on the floor. And the reason that is is because our eyes are really uh, connected to the part of our brain that controls balance. Try this when you get home or at the after party. I read it and I had to try it. I did it like every time I went through this message. When you balance on one foot with your eyes open, focus on something... It's a lot easier to balance. But as soon as you close your eyes, 
that balance leaves. Try it. 30 seconds with your eyes open, 30 seconds with your eyes closed. I'm telling you, when your eyes are closed, when you're not looking at something, when you're not focused, you lose your balance. We have to learn to keep our eyes focused. Now, dancers are taught to keep their eyes lifted and focused outward while they're in that studio. They're taught, look up and look out. Imagine that this room has, that you have x-ray vision and that you can see beyond this room. I think sometimes we get stuck in our little studio with mirrors all around us and we're just focused on us. We're focused on our problems and our flaws and our circumstances and our situations. God says, no, look up, look out, look beyond yourself. When you do that, when you learn to start fixing your focus, it stirs up this gift of a sound mind. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Isaiah 40, 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. And number five, we stir up the gift of a sound mind through getting into character. Dancers are taught to lift up their eyes and to look outward in the studio. But what about when they're in the big show? What about when all that pressure is on and all these people are watching them and they're actually playing a part in a play? Where do they look then? This is my favorite part of this message. Lean in tonight. This is about to get really good. I read this week this article. It says, this, this is an article about an on-point dancer in the Houston Ballet, and she was cast as the lead role in this love story. You know, most ballets are love stories. She was cast as the lead in this love story ballet. And they asked her, how do you keep balance? How do you, she's known for holding these on-point positions for a really long time. They said, how do you do that? Here's what she says. When a dancer's in front of a big crowd and other dancers and props and things are moving all around her, it's important for her to fix her eyes on something. So to get into character, she'll lock eyes with her dance partner. She said it makes her more confident. And since it's what her character would be doing in real life, she feels it helps the performance be more realistic. Locking eyes with her partner steadies her. I want you to know that you are the lead in the greatest love story ever told. That you are the reason that God came, that he sent his only son. It's because he couldn't bear the fact of an, to, have a, to have a life, to have an eternity without you. He didn't want to be separated from you. You're the lead in this love story. You are his quest. You are why he came. So now you got to get into character. What you're doing right now is not in these things that we do. It's not in character. We got to get into character. We got to start acting like we're the lead in this love story. We got to lock eyes with our partner. When we look up, God's not just saying, look up, look at the clouds, look at the stars. He's saying, look up and lock eyes with me. I will steady you. I will balance you. I will give you everything that you need, all the answers you're looking for, the peace that you're craving, the joy that you need. You just need to look up. You need to steady your eyes. You need to get into character. We got to quit acting like the girl who makes bad decisions. We got to quit acting like the mom who is frazzled by her children. These gifts from God, I just can't handle them. We got to quit acting like that girl. We got to quit acting like the girl who's pulled in a million different directions and she's trying to do all things, but she's master of none. 
We gotta quit acting like the girl who knows more about what's going on in her Instagram feed than she does about what God's will is for her life. We gotta quit acting like the girl who makes all the wrong decisions and she can't get healthy because she's just not disciplined enough. We gotta quit acting like the girl who has a really short attention span, the goldfish attention span. That's not the role that God has cast you in. It's not. When you're acting like that, you're not in character. God has written a role for you and he's given you everything you need to beautifully execute it. He's given you the sound mind. He's given you what you need to step into character. And now it's time to do so. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. God's written a different script for your life. You're the lead role in this love story. He values you. He cares about you. He has people on your path. He has a purpose for you. We gotta get into character. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you didn't just not give us the spirit of fear, but that you gave us the gift of a sound mind, that we can take back what the enemy has stolen from us with this accurate measuring stone. Lord, I pray that tonight you would come and repair those stones that we've allowed life to chip away at, those stones that are throwing our world out of balance, that you'd come and repair those stones, replace those stones, give us a sound mind, Lord, a new revelation of the sound mind that you've already given us. Thank you, Jesus, that you just pour out your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you're stirring this gift up that now that it's there, Lord, that we can acknowledge it, that we can activate it, that we can walk with it, Lord, that you're going to help us make good decisions. You're going to help us to have a sensible mind. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I want to invite our altar ministry team to come up at this time. And right there, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? Don't check out. This is the most important part of the message. This is where God wants to, to show you what you do with this word that you've heard. You've heard it, now what are you gonna do with it? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak that to you. Thank you, Jesus. Show us what to do, Lord. Show us our next steps. Show us, Lord, how we stay in line with you. What do you have for us next? We want what you want for us, God. Thank you, Jesus. You guys can look up here. Our altar ministry team, would love to pray with you tonight. If you're here and you have need of anything, if you're sick tonight, if you're hurting, if your heart is broken, if you feel out of balance and you just want somebody to lay their hands on you and help you stir that gift up, these ladies would love to do so. They've been praying for you. We've all been praying for you by name. And this is such an important part. You know, a lot of conferences, they're getting too big. They're too big for you to come and receive this personal ministry moment with the Lord. But as long as I'm leading this thing, I promise you, we'll always have this personal ministry available for you. It's a gift. If you would stand to your feet. We're gonna go into one more song. As we do, I want you to seal this word in your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to seal it in your heart. 
And then I also wanna invite you to come forward to flood these altars. If you need prayer for anything, we invite you to come forward. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every woman in need of prayer to the altars tonight, Lord, to get an answer from you, to leave burdenless. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.